0: That how the theme of it is in Revelation 1 verse 19 Write the things which you have seen The things which are And the things which take place And you'll see there if you've got the notes um, The Chapter 1 was the past uh, Chapter 2 and 3 was the present The churches And then chapter 4 to the future To the Chapter 22 would be the future um, And so we just kind of talk about the day uh, Who wrote it Um, But I just want to clarify a couple things because uh, I talk fast and sometimes uh, people don't quite catch it, and that's on me. Uh, I told you the next thing on the timeline, I believe, is the rapture, and uh, as I said, that's a pretty controversial thing when the rapture is going to happen. I believe it will be before the seven-year period, and this is why. Um, Persecution happens all over the world, and you hear people say, well, why are we special? that we won't have to go through persecution. That's not the case. When the seals are opened in the book of Revelation and the bold judgments and the trumpet judgments, that is not normal persecution. That is divine judgment. It is a judgment and wrath that has only been poured out on Jesus on the cross. And he took that wrath and that punishment for us. And so when they t- we talk about that, The reason I believe the church does not go through the tribulation is because the Bible says repeatedly uh, in the New Testament that we will not suffer the wrath of God, the special wrath of God. And write these down, and I'll read them. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. 1 Thessalonians is an entire book. And 2 Thessalonians, where in times and the second coming of Christ are mentioned pretty much in every chapter. In verse 9 it says, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. Where are we waiting at? In heaven. Whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming Wrath. So we are being rescued from the divine wrath that is to come. Could that be Jesus' death? Yes. But since he's talking about the fact that his son is in heaven, he has been raised from the dead, he rescues us from the coming wrath, it is strongly believed that that is talking about the divine wrath from the tribulation. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Verses 1 through 9, Paul is talking about this whole idea. And I want to read it all to you because I want you to see that it's the context. We're not picking a verse out of here or a verse out of there. It is the context of everything. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Stop there. When Jesus comes to get his church, only the church understands that. No one else understands what is happening. right? It's in the twinkling of an eye, uh, the trump sounds. But when he comes again to destroy his enemies and comes all the way to the earth, the Bible says the whole earth sees it, all right? No one mistakes when Jesus arrives on his white horse to destroy his enemies. So he's talking about the rapture let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Here it is. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord, Jesus Christ. He is literally talking about when we're going to be leaving, when he's going to be coming, being prepared, and so that you and I will avoid the wrath of God's judgment. So, Revelation chapter 3, the last one, and if you don't agree with me after that, you've already got your mind made up, and that's okay. There are a lot of good people that disagree with me, and that's okay. But in Revelation chapter 3, I think the strongest evidence for a pre-tribulation rapture comes from verses 9 and 10. He's talking to the church at Philippi, or Philadelphia, and he says these words. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. And so if it's the literal church at Philadelphia or it is the figurative church that this church represents, he says you are going to avoid what? The trial to come. And it's not just a local church uh, trial because it says what? To test the inhabitants of the earth. And so he's saying the church is going to miss this judgment to come. And so if the church misses this judgment to come, that is the specific seven years of the tribulation, that means the rapture has to happen first. And so you can also go to John chapter five. I'm not going to read them because its I feel like it's just rubbing salt into a womb. In John chapter 5, verses 24 through 29, it talks about those of us who are saved are not under condemnation, not under the condemnation of judgment. In John chapter 3, verses 17 through 21, again, and we're going to read these in a second, but for a different part of Scripture. We are not condemned. We are not condemned. And this is important. Because you and I have to come to an agreement about what we believe about the judgment of God. Either Christ took the judgment of God for believers on the cross. Or he didn't take all of it and we're going to have to face some of it in that seven year period. I believe when it says there is no condemnation. You can go to Romans chapter 8 verse 1, John chapter 5, John chapter 3, that that's what it means in all of its context that I am not going to have to suffer the special wrath of God that is being set aside for a future day. That's important for two reasons. One, who is the tribulation period for? It is focused on dealing with what group of people? The Jews and God dealing with the Jewish people. It is very difficult for God to pivot back to the Jewish people if he is also still dealing with the church all right and so that's why I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture but yet I will not hate anybody for disagreeing with me if you'd like to disagree with me you can write it in the paper and present it to me some other time because we just don't have time but that's the next thing on the calendar that we looked at the rise of the beast and the Antichrist in your nose. The great tribulation, that seven-year period the Bible teaches, and whether you believe in a pre-trib, post-trib, the seven-year tribulation is without a doubt established through the entire Bible. In Daniel, in Ezekiel, it's repeated. No one disagrees with that. The Armageddon, the great battle where the Lord comes back in Revelation 16. So we see that. And then it is explained in Revelation 19. Then the millennial reign, and I explain to you, that's another very controversial issue. But I want you to think about something. The Bible does not say that God gives us his word to confuse us or conceal things from us. God wants us to understand. That's why the Bible says that when you read and obey the book of Revelation, then you will have what? A blessing, a special blessing. And so God did not give us this book so that we would be miserable and confused and angry. I know pastors who refuse to touch it. They, they're not going to preach it. They're not going to teach it. And I didn't want to either. Because, you know, answering questions is like my least favorite thing to do in the whole world. And uh, But it's a blessing that we're robbing ourselves from. And so, and then the millennial reign, which I believe in six times in those six verses, it says... Uh, the thousand year period. And so if he's going to repeat something that often, I think we ought to pay attention. And so that thousand year period is where we ended last week. And so the rapture, the church is gone. The Antichrist and the, the beast and the dragon, Satan and his two um, uh, lackey boys are given uh, rain to work and move. And so that period is a time of great persecution. And so everything from chapter 6 through 19, the seals, the judgments, the bold judgments, the trumpet, all of that is taking place in that seven-year period, okay? And so what most people get confused of is what does all that mean? And if you get the timeline right, it all really makes sense. Even though we'll never be able to agree all the time on what do the dragon uh, horns mean? And what does this mean? We can disagree on those things, but the big points are all that matter. And so we see this millennial kingdom comes to an end after Jesus destroys his enemies. He reigns for a thousand years on the earth. And at the end of that thousand years, we looked that Satan is released There is one last rebellion and God then takes the beast and the Antichrist and the false prophet, throws them into the lake of fire. He then destroys all of his enemies. The earth has been destroyed mostly from the cataclysmic events. And at that point, we then begin in Revelation chapter 20, the great white throne judgment. Now, this is where people get confused. Because people will say, well, I don't want to stand at the great white throne of judgment. If you are a Christian, this judgment is not for you. This judgment is for the lost. Every lost man, woman, boy or girl who has ever lived at this time will be resurrected. That means they will be receiving resurrected bodies that never were out. You say, wait a second. I thought just Christians got bodies that lasted forever. No, everyone gets a body that lasts forever. The question is, where will that body spend forever? And that's a sovereign thing to think about. Because the Bible does not teach a nihilism, which is the belief that you die and you seek to exist. It does not teach like Hindus that you go through certain levels of hell to then enter into peace. It doesn't teach what Islam teaches, that there are at different stages of torture and as you work through them. It doesn't teach purgatory where you can study and and suffer for a season and then move out. The Bible teaches, and I want to read this to you starting in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so, this is probably, in my opinion, the most heartbreaking passage of scripture in the entire Bible. Not for me, because I'm not going to be there standing in front of that judgment. But if you have someone in your life that is lost and they die in that condition, this is where they will end up. We do not believe in pluralism that there are multiple ways to heaven. We believe there is one way And his name is Jesus. It's not a Baptist way. It's not a Methodist way. It's not a Catholic way. It's not a Lutheran way. It is Jesus and only Jesus. You say, Jake, there are over a billion Muslims in the world. I can't help it. That's why we are to take the gospel to them. Well, Jake, there are uh, billions of nuns or others. Yeah. And that's why Jesus said narrow is the way. Few (coughs) find it. Broad is the path that goes to destruction. That is why missions, if you've not noticed lately, we have been talking about missions. We have been showcasing people who have been on missions. We've been taking up money for missions because we are called on the name of our church, what? Missionary Baptist Church. And if you've never been a part of missions, maybe you don't say, I go to the church that is supposed to be called 10 Mile Missionary. Baptist Church. Because there are people dying every day lost going into an eternity away from God. And what we see here though is this. We see those who are alive and were killed at this great battle will be standing there. All of those from the Old Testament who died and were apart from God. All those in the New Testament who died and were apart from God. We see here that it gives every area. The sea, it gives the Earth, it talks about all these places trying to teach us that no one is immune. You say, well, my my family member went to the bottom of the ocean on the Titanic. It doesn't matter. On this day, they will be there. They were blown up in the uh, explosion. They'll be there. God puts them back together, gives them a resurrected body, and they will stand before God. You say, Jake, I don't like that. I think that that's not fair. I'm going to read you some scripture tonight. And I want you to write this down. John chapter 5, verse 24. Jesus saying, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged. Did you hear that? We're not going to be here. Christians are not at the great white throne judgment being judged. Now, we might be watching it. I don't know. I've heard preachers preach it both ways. It's not my place to say. And will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. That's why I don't think we go through the tribulation period, because it is a form of judgment. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. And as the Father has life in himself... So he has granted the son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. Jesus is the judge. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to life to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. So we will not be at the same judgment as the lost. John chapter 3 verse 17 through 21. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stand condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. It's a courtroom setting. Think of judge in the same setting that we're talking about in Revelation. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Let's stop right there. We've all seen kids when they know they've done something wrong. They know that you know they've done something wrong and they try to hide it. Why is it that most people try to rob someone when it's nighttime? It's easier to conceal their actions. It's easier to hide what they're doing. But what it says here is, don't miss this, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Children of God have no reason to hide what we do. That's why when we have difficulties at church, we always try to have multiple people in meetings so that there are multiple people who hear, this is the issue, this is the concern, this is why that person's mad, this is why this is happening. Why? Because everything we try to do is above board. Does that mean we always agree? No. Does that mean we always like the outcome? No. But we always try to do things Openly with it, with integrity, and that there are other people witnessing. Now, does that mean it always works out? Absolutely not. But that is always what we strive for. Romans chapter eight, verse one. One more verse about judgment. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament, and should be yours as well. Therefore, there is now no, no, not none, nothing, not a. All right. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God might have to discipline you in love, but you are not under judgment. God might be trying to convict you of your sin and bring you back. And he might be using everything in your life that's making you miserable, but he's not doing it because he is going to judge you and send you to hell. It is because he loves you and he's trying to bring you back. Because when Jesus died for your sins and you accepted the free gift of salvation, God sets you free. That's why I don't believe you can lose your salvation and then get it back and lose it and get it back. Because why? If there's no condemnation for me as a Christian, I can't jump back in it. I can't go from not condemned to condemned. Not condemned to condemned. When he settled my account, he settled it permanently. When my name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life, it was written in there, in permanent ink. And so, questions about this? Please feel free to to ask away. I know I covered a lot, but I tried to go slower than usual. Yeah, <laughs> so. Yes, ma'am. last? The Romans. Romans eight, verse one. Thank you. Now, there are different judgments in the Bible. For instance, uh, we know that Adam and Eve were judged because of their sin, and they were cast out of the garden. We know that God judged the world at the Tower of Babel by confusing our languages. We saw that God judged the nation of Egypt and how they treated Joseph and the people of God. We know that um, in the future, there will be this judgment that we're talking about, There are the judgments of the tribulation period, the bowl judgment, the trumpet judgment, and the seals. We see that. And there is the judgment seat of Christ. And this is an extra we're just going to look in because we don't know when it happens for sure. There's a lot of speculation, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that is when we are judged for our works, not for salvation, but when God rewards us for our service to him. You say, Jake, I'm just going to be lucky to get to heaven. I'm not worried about anything other than that. That's very good. But you should worry and be concerned, not in a negative sense, about how you serve your Savior. You should want to be used by him to bring glory and honor to his name. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, I will read it. But this is not a judgment for sin. It is a time to get rewards for how you serve God. You say, well, I'm going to do more for the rewards. No, that's not right either. We serve God because we love him. But yet we know that he is going to give good gifts to his people. No, the Bible even says that a father doesn't give his son a serpent if he asks for a fish or bread or a rock if he asks for bread. And how much more does our heavenly father love us than our earthly father? And so this is very important. I'm going to say this, and this will be the reason that I get hate mail this week. I know it, all right? It always is. Half-hearted commitment to Christ is excused in the church today. I'm too busy to come to church. I'm too busy to teach Sunday school. I'm too busy to serve in the nursery. I'm too busy to go on a mission trip. I'm just, I got too much going on in my life. What you have said is, I really don't care about what God is going to do through me. It doesn't change the fact that you're saved, but one of these days, God is going to celebrate what He accomplished through you. You say, Jake, I'm not a good public speaker. I understand that. That might not be what God's called you to do, but yet God will reward you for doing what He has gifted you to do. Maybe you're a singer. I'm not a good singer, all right? I like to think I'm a good singer, but the ladies at Heritage Woods remind me all the time that I thought your preaching was bad until I heard your singing. And so I know that's not my gift. I think it is. I love to sing. I don't mind to sing here at church. Everybody looks at me, but but you should be using it for God. But God wants to reward you, not because he has to, not because you've earned his love, but because he wants to use you for his glory. And when you win a race, and if you've ever watched uh, the Olympics, they put them up on pedestals. They don't put the losers on the pedestals. They put the winners, right? And they don't criticize the person for getting third or second. They're all rewarded. And that's what this judgment shows us. It's a it's a, a uh, athletic event terminology that God rewards his people For running the race faithfully. And you and I should care about running the race faithfully. And so when someone says. Well I don't care about the jewels in my crown. Or I don't care about that. This is what you miss out. All the rewards God gives us. We end up doing something with them. We end up laying them at his feet. Because really he's the one that accomplished it. That's why the Bible says. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Because the spirit of God wants to use you. God wants to use you to make an eternal difference for people. God wants you to go to Nicaragua. God wants you to go to Mexico. If you can't go, God wants you to give. If you can't give, God wants you to pray. And you can be used to build the kingdom of God. And so you're not going to be judged for your salvation if you are saved. God already took that punishment. But we will all stand who are saved at the judgment seat of Christ. To receive the rewards. And all the stuff that was done with the wrong motives, the Bible tells us that it will all burn up. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I don't have time to read it, talks about that. So I might have preached 10,000 sermons by the time I die. And God might use those. But what I can tell you is God knows the heart behind him. And when I stand before him someday and he goes to reward me, he's like, Hey, you, you did that because you loved me in front of people. I'm going to be like, no, that's not it. But if my motive is selfish, how many television preachers are just preaching so they can become wealthy? They can get things out of their congregants. That's why the Bible says, be wary of sheep and wolves clothing. And so you're like, well, Jake, I don't always enjoy working in the nursery. tell so you what, get in your prayer closet, spend a little time in prayer, and say, God, change my heart. Change my heart. Lord, give me a heart to do this for you. Well, I don't like singing in the choir. People are looking at me. God gave you the ability to sing. You're supposed to use it. You say, I can sing where I'm at. That's not it. Heaven is going to be full of choirs. You better get used to it. We literally see it over and over again in the book of Revelation. Get up there, smile, sing for Jesus, and show a generation of young people that they ought to use the gifts that God has given them. All right? Or as I like to say, suck it up, buttercup. Yes, sir. In uh, chapter 20, verse 13, it says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death, and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. Yes. What is death? Yes. So Hades is in the Old Testament the holding place for the lost. Um, You've seen it in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, Abraham's bosom, and so it's all the Old Testament saints that died apart from the Lord, that is where they will come from. And so, hell or the second death is what we see in this chapter when they are thrown into. So, that is the holy place that all of the lost are at now and where they're being punished. The difference between death and makes- uh, it's kind of just like uh, the grave and death were swallowed up in the book of Revelation. It's kind of the same thing. Any other questions? So will they be punished in uh, Hades? They are being punished in Hades. If you remember with the rich man, he told Abraham if he could just dip the, the finger of his uh finger in water and just dab it on my tongue and abraham says there is a great uh chasm a chism schism i don't know what the word is that keeps us from going back and forth and so yes there is already uh, uh the unquenching thirst uh there is already all of those things that we think and then it will be even worse in the second death uh, in the lake of fire So, I want to give you a couple other verses just to show you that this is true. Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, which we are just getting done looking at a few minutes ago. uh, Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. That's the one that that we're going to experience, all right, if we're in heaven and the Lord returns and we come with it. The second death, that is the eternal damnation thrown into the lake of fire has no power over them, us. We are not judged because we've already been forgiven. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So we were going to be serving God during the millennial kingdom. We do not face the second death, all right? We will not um, go through what the lost go through. In Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 30, it says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him From the dead. So there is no one who can make the excuse, I didn't know, because Jesus overcame sin and death and the grave. He is the standard that everyone will be judged by. When you read verses um, 11 through 15, there's something that people get confused about. Uh, And I can get so am I judged for my works or am I judged for rejecting Christ? Uh, I believe the unpardonable sin, the only sin that God does not forgive, is when the Holy Spirit convicts you and you say no. And you reject His free gift of salvation and you die lost. It's the only thing that is not forgiven. But when your name is not writ in the Lamb's Book of Life, you are then going to be punished specifically. You rejected Christ, you're not going to heaven. But the punishment that you and I, or hopefully you and I, don't receive, that the lost will receive will be based on all of the sins that they've ever committed. And the Bible says there are none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. And so the Bible talks about this judgment. And, and, and what we see from the Bible is that hell is going to be terrible. There is nothing good about it. But there are some people that will even receive more punishment for what they have done than others. I can't give you a sliding scale, but you can read it and figure it out yourself. All right. But it is literally a place of terrible torment. But yet they will be held accountable. But don't miss this. Not just for what they did, but every sin in their heart, every sin in their mind. Every sin that they whispered that no one else knew about, they will be judged. And I want to say this tonight. When you hear a pastor say that we believe Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, and we're not trying to upset everybody, we're not trying to criticize everybody, it is because this is what happens when someone doesn't believe. And I don't, there's a lot of people in this church, I get this from people all the time, Jake, I think you talk about hell too much, and so I'm like, I don't think I'm talking about hell enough, all right? Because I don't want to scare people into heaven. I don't believe in lighting a trash can on fire and saying, "If this is where you want to spend eternity, just keep being who you're being." All right. But friends, as Christians, this should drive us that I don't want anyone to go here. I don't want anyone to experience this. I don't want anyone to be a part of this. And I want to read a verse from you to you that I, I I've got on here, but I don't have on my nose. It's from Hosea chapter 12. Verse two, who sends a person to hell? The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. Who is responsible in this state? Judah. The nation was responsible for their sins. You can go to the book of Isaiah. You can go to the book of Acts. Over and over again, the Bible says that you are responsible for responding. You and I are the ones that either respond in humility and we bow humbly before him or he will make us bow someday. And so there's no excuse. My mom and dad didn't take me to church. The pastor was a hypocrite. The deacon was a a drunkard. Uh, There's no excuse that on judgment day, will work. Nothing. You say, Jake, that's harsh. It is what it is. And so as a Christian who you work with, they need to see you living for Jesus. The kids that you're raising need to see you living for Jesus. The grandkids you're trying to help take care of need to see you for living for Jesus because they need the gospel. They need to know him. And I want to read this verse to you because I think it's so important and we'll stop for questions. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Possibly my fourth favorite New Testament passage of Scripture. Fourth favorite, all right. Starting in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Might as well stop right there. There is no other way to read that verse Or the verses before it. Other than what it says. The opportunity. The grace of God has appeared. To all people. If you go to hell. It is because you said no. To the offer. That was given. Don't miss this. For the grace of God. Has appeared. That offers. That means the offer is extended. They offered you gravy tonight. You could have said no. I don't know why you would say no, but some of you said no. And if they didn't offer it to you, I'm sorry. But if they were to say, we offered it to everybody and only one person said no, I want to know who that one person was, all right? Yeah, it's Tristan. No, I don't know if only one person did. I'm just trying to show you this. And before you say, well, that's not what it means, let's see what it goes on and says. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self control So what it's saying is, Christian, you saying you're born this way or it's how you were raised is not an excuse. If the Holy Spirit offers salvation to you and you accept it, he's going to begin to work in you and to teach you and to change you and to work on you. So you say, well, Jay, this is this is I'm going to get in trouble with this, but I don't care. I was born with an attraction to someone of the same sex. That might be a sin you struggle with, but it will never be okay in God's eyes for you to live it out. I wanted to say this tonight because I'm all about, you know, just making people mad. (laughs) If you remember, some of you who were older, (laughs) pornography used to be something that you had to find at some guys that you were friends with, dad's house in a secret collection. You had to sneak around to find it. You had to sneak around to get it, and and heaven forbid, it was probably hidden somewhere it shouldn't have been. And so the church preached preached against it, and preached against it, and preached against it, and preached against it. And then it becomes so rampant, it's just kind of like, well, I hear very few sermons on pornography. I talk about it a lot. And then it was, you know what? You know why? Why do we have to wait till we're married? I love that person. Sex is just sex, right? We've already seen the pictures anyway, the videos. And so the church preached, no, you have to save yourself. You have to save yourself. God wants you to save yourself. Don't, don't live together. Don't even have the appearance of evil. Just just be godly in your dating. Oh, no one days godly. Anymore. Just not, you know, no one days godly. And so now you hear no sermons hardly ever on the sin of fornication. Okay, all right, that's where we draw the line, the church said. Then homosexuality began to come to prevalent. It's always existed, but when a culture accepts something, the next generation embraces it. Right. And so the church preached against it in the 80s and the 90s and in the 2000s and even in the early 2000s that we cannot give. And then your all-favorite president decided to make it the law of the land. And the church now has grown silent. Because everyone has a niece, a nephew. And so we can't talk about it. And so that's where we draw the line, Jake. Nothing more than that. And then, we have now bombarded with a generation of people who cannot decide what gender they are. And I'm not going to be cruel because it is a struggle. I understand that. It is a mental disorder that is deprived from the wickedness of sin. Some of you are looking like, oh, Jake, I can't wait are saying this on the recording. Listen, I got big shoulders and I still own firearms, so come at me, all right? <laughs> and so, I say all of that because this week, a 17-year-old girl in the YMCA in the state of Ohio, I believe it was, got out of the shower and a grown man was standing in there watching her. And she jumped back in the shower, this guy gets dressed, leaves, she goes to the front desk and they say oh he's not a sex offender so that's where he can be she is now in trouble with the local ymca because she usually has her five-year-old sister with her i want you to hear this tonight the church will speak for a while but it will eventually grow quiet unless the people of God say, we know what the Bible says. And we're going to stand with a pastor that preaches it. Because everybody wants their pastor to preach against living together or having sex before you're married until it's your kid. And I've watched it plenty of times. Preach it, pastor. You want to go with me to talk to him? Oh, no, 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 not me. No, boss, not me. Oh, I'm not going Hey, so-and-so struggling with homosexuality. I'm going to go talk to him. Like, you get it, Pastor. <laughs> <laughs> not me, boss. I ain't born. I ain't born. It's not a one-person job. Okay. And what we need to know is everything is getting worse. Mm-hmm. And what happens is what we're not compromising is on transgender issues. We're not com- com- uh, uh, compromising on homosexuality. We're not compromising on sexual sin what we're compromising on is this simple fact that God is going to punish the unrepentant sinner. Mm -hmm. And what we've really said is you can live however you want and you're going to die and go to hell and it doesn't bother us because that's what it's all about. It's not about who you love. It's not about who you sleep with. It's about this simple thing that God said sin is sin and sin must be punished. It doesn't matter if it's lying. It doesn't matter if it's tax evasion. It doesn't matter if it's your pride. Whatever it is, Jesus died to take the punishment of sin. And if sin doesn't matter, his death did not matter. And if the punishment of an eternal damnation doesn't matter, then why does it matter why they believe? And so church, stand firmer. Don't compromise that we love people too much to let them go to hell without a warning. I believe it was um, Billy Graham who said it. It could have been someone else, maybe Jay Vernon McGee. But let them go to hell having to jump over us, to walk around us. We should want people to know that there is a God who loves them and died for them on the cross who took the punishment for their sin and it doesn't matter where they've been or what they've done, they can find forgiveness and hope and everlasting life through Jesus Christ. And God's people said Amen. Amen. <laughs> Questions before we move to the last one. And then next week we will jump right into Revelation chapter 1. <clears throat> I can already see the angry faces probably popping up on the Facebook page. (laughs) But the judgment of the lost happens and then for the Christian, the most glorious event in human history. Not for lost people, but for the saved. In Revelation chapter 21, the Bible says this, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea than I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard my double chin must have hit it. Sorry about that. <clears throat> and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write For these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. Friends, if you want to be saved, you can be saved. If you want eternal life with him, you can have it freely given. He who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God. He shall be my son. And don't miss it. Because you thought, Jake, you just want to rant about sexual sin. Don't miss it. Verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall take their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is... The Second Death. Now, I think this is interesting because two of my favorite Bible teachers to listen to on the subject of Revelation is David Jeremiah and John MacArthur. And when it comes to talking about the new heavens and new earth and the new earth, they don't agree.
1: One believes
0: that when Paul writes in First Thessalonians that the old heaven and the old earth is going to be burned up, that it's going to be completely destroyed, nothing left over. Matter is going to be destroyed regardless of what your science teacher taught you, and it's all going to be over. David Jeremiah believes that that word for burning does not mean destruction, but cleansing. That all of the sin, all of the sickness, everything about this earth will be brought down to ashes, and then God will rebuild from those ashes. Rebuild what is here from that. And what I can tell you is, Neither one of them makes a difference. All right? However God does it, I'm okay with it. But I want you to think about how beautiful the earth is now. How you can go to the Grand Canyons and stand over the peaks of mountains and how beautiful God's creation is. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when sin has not corrupted it? How beautiful everything is going to be. How amazing and wonderful and awestruck. The writer of Hebrews describes it like this about those of us who are Christians longing for the day when everything is made right. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. There's an old hymn. It's a wonderful hymn. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Friends, I want you to know this. Most professing believers are so happy here at earth, on earth that heaven is not appealing to them. David Jeremiah tells this story. He said, a teacher asked all the little boys and girls in the Sunday school, who wants to go to heaven? And everybody raised their hand except for one little boy. The teacher went to him after class and says, don't you want to go to heaven? He said, I sure do, but I thought you were taking requests for a bus load tonight. And so I'm ready to go. And when God's ready for me, I'm ready to go. I'm longing for the day when this battle of sin is gone. You might not struggle with your own sin, but I do. My temper and my mouth get me in all kinds of trouble. My pride can get me in trouble. My desire to complain can get me in trouble. But, Christian, the more you read the Word of God and you see how screwed up everything here is and how perfect it's going to be there, you ought to start having a longing for home. I have a longing for food at a good restaurant if I'm hungry. I'm all the way to Evansville thinking, whoa, it's time to go eat some of God's chicken. God's chicken's at Evansville. There's multiple locations. I can hit one on the east side, middle side, and west side if I need to. You said, you've not done that before me. And get back, coke in each one of them, right? But I'm longing for something that I want. And Christian, if you have no longing for heaven... It's because you're not spending enough time studying the author and creator of it. Almost every problem in your Christian life is because you're not studying the word of God. Not spending time feeding on the feast that is the scriptures. Isaiah 66 verse 22 says it like this as the new heavens and the new earth that I made will endure before me as the Lord, so will your name and your descendants endure. When God remakes it again, there will be no Adam and Eve sin in the garden. There will be no rebellion of Satan. This one is permanent. Isaiah 65 verse 17 says, see, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor Will they come to mind? All the heartache of this world, all the pain, all the struggle, we will remember no more. And this is the last with four questions. I know I say that a lot. Revelation 22, verse 17. It's in your packet. Probably my third favorite verse in the New Testament. <laughs> I'm trying to rank them. Without always saying, it's my favorite. It's my favorite. And behold, I am coming quickly. Friends, Jesus could come at any time. And uh, I can't remember which person said it. I'd much rather go with the upper taker than the undertaker. All right. (laughs) And behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his works. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside, these are people that are not going to be in this eternal heaven, eternal home. But outside are dogs, and he doesn't have a thing about dog, or it's not an animal thing, all right? It's a reference to the wicked, to those who have refused the things of God. You say, I knew I should have been a cat person, but that's not what it's talking about. <laughs> are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Don't miss that. Because he just said that very same list in the chapter before. And in this chapter. Because he's trying to remind you that while God has promised all of these blessings, you can't inherit them without Jesus. And if this is your life and you've chosen these things over Jesus, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. What it's saying is Jesus says, this is my stamp of approval. This is what's going to happen. And so if you believe Jesus about salvation, you have to believe him about revelation. If you don't believe him about revelation, you can't believe him about salvation. If you can't believe creation, you can't believe the end. And so tonight, you've got to believe what Jesus says. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star, and don't miss this invitation. This is why I love it so much. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the bride say come. And let him who hears say come. And let him who thirst come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Ends it with an invitation. Come on. Heaven is big enough. For the people of God. And God wants. To see and save. That which is lost. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9. God is not willing. That any should perish. Questions. I know that was a lot. But that gets us through all of it. What was that first Isaiah passage? What was that one? What was the first Isaiah one? The first Isaiah verse, let me get my notes here, was 6622. I do not have all the answers, but I would be happy to try. And if I can, I will look it up and give it to you. I got a question. <clears throat> yes, sir. What about the sexual immorality? Uh, we know the world can be sexually immoral, but. Then, uh, like John 2 and other places, uh, Second John, talks about not even associating with them, don't even greet them. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in America, it became more prevalent. So we see, like, in the first century, how that applies to them. Don't even greet those people. But how is that applicable? How would you apply that to the 21st century? So if we remember, Paul addressed that in his writing to the Church of Corinthians. Because some of them had decided, well, I can't spend any time with lost people because they're wicked and paul says no 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 no. that's not what i meant he says i'm talking about people who profess to be christians and live not we're not talking about man i lost my temper or man i looked at that girl or guy and i had a lustful thought that's not what paul's talking about but when i choose to disobey god's commandments on any sin especially the sexual sins he says have nothing to do with that believer but if we don't forget He gave us a blueprint for how to handle that, right? If I know, this is where no one ever wants to go with a pastor, all right? If I know that Lucas, he's not, but it's just he's standing there, all right? He's got broad shoulders. If I know that Lucas is cheating on his wife, I've seen it, I've not heard it, all right, I've not seen it on the Facebook gossip rumors, but I know, all right? It is my responsibility to love him enough To do what? Come on, don't answer it if you're not willing to do it. Go Go to him and love and say, Lucas, I love you.